I want to share with you, as Dave comes forward to read the passage of Scripture, a little bit about this, this passage. It's, it's found in the book of Acts, and you have to understand that while this is the third Sunday removed from Easter, as this story occurs, they are a little bit further out from Easter than that. It's, it's been recent enough that the power of Easter and all the releasing of the Holy Spirit that has already occurred in Acts has been moving, but Easter has become a little more distant And as you read Acts and go through it, you'll discover how the church is trying to figure out uh, what their mission is and what they can do and what they can't do. And Peter is one of the key leaders in that. And in the story today, you will hear how Peter is invited into a situation that he saw Christ in before. But now, Peter's there. Christ is resurrected. And in this situation, he has to ask this very important question. Our miracle is still possible. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. This is the word of God for the people of God. In your bulletin, you will know that there's a section called Sermon Notes, and I invite you, if you're so inclined, to turn there and to have that open in case there's something, uh, whether it be from my lips or just a stirring of God within your heart, that you want to make notation of so that you can be thinking about it later this week. And I'm going to tell you, quite frankly, a little bit later in the sermon, there are going to be two questions I'm going to ask you. You may very well want to write the answers down to those two questions when that time comes. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, whose mercy is beyond all measure, and who continues to do things in our lives that amaze us and overwhelms us, who continues to move in this world, even in a world that begins to have doubt about your very existence, you have never given up on being the one who makes the very quality of life possible. We ask you to help us surrender ourselves into you, to throw our trust entirely in your word, and today to hear and receive, not through my mouth alone, but certainly by the movement of your Holy Spirit, all that you require and ask us to receive. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. The church is out of the miracle business.
It's not a headline of a newspaper. It's just the way in which I think the majority of the world thinks. That miracles are something of our past, a mythology out of our history, those stories out of the Bible that we were taught when we were the angels in training, those stories long ago, those miraculous things, too big to believe miracles. I would suggest that not only is that a thought of the world outside, but I want to suggest it's true for some of us too. It's true for me at times. I wonder what could God do? I, I fall into those moments when thinking that the problem before me is bigger than the God in front of me. I wonder how God might work today, and sometimes I even wonder why God doesn't work today like God worked back then. It seems like the church is out of the miracle business. You realize, of course, when Jesus was alive, it was in some ways the miracles that drew people to him. People flocked when they heard the stories of his miracles. And the truth is, people are not banging down the doors of the church to get in here. No one is breaking through the roof today and lowering their friend into this very room so they might be healed of whatever malady they may, may have. You have outstanding clergy leadership in this church. I'm the only one who ever says that, but I've got to keep saying it until they believe it. But you, you know, but the, here's the truth, you know, the fact is, Reverend Laura is, I mean, if I am ever in crisis or in need or in a hospital and I need compassion, I need love, I need grace, I need wisdom, I want Laura to come. I really do. But Laura hasn't raised anybody up out of the bed lately. You know, I, I don't have the miracle of feeding 5,000. I look like I've been eating for 5,000, but I, 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 can't, I can't break the bread for everybody. You know what I'm saying. Reverend Howe walks through the water as he is this morning on the Asabo River. I'm just going to tell you that's where he is today. But he's not walking on the water If those, those miracles were occurring, wow. People think the church is out of the miracle business, but I think sometimes when they and when I think such things, perhaps we've fallen into a false understanding of what miracles were ever intended to be, what Jesus did with them anyway. See, Jesus himself tried to avoid people from focusing on the action of a miracle, the big thing that happened. How many times in Scripture did he heal somebody or move somebody or change somebody's life and say, don't tell anyone? And he wanted people to tell folks because he didn't want people coming to him just for the miracle, the thing that happened. See, Jesus was doing what he did so that he could enter into relationship with people. When the disciples grieved Jesus' death before his resurrection, I expect that there probably was some conversation about, oh, I just wish you were here to do one more miracle. I wish, I wish you could divide the loaves and feed the thousands. I wish you could bring healing. But the truth is, what they grieved the most was not the miracles, it was him. The whole point of the miracles was so people would enter into relationship with him to realize the power and the love and the mercy and the grace that he alone gives to people. 
And when the church grieved Jesus, that's what they missed. And when resurrection happened, I mean that most amazing miracle of all, what they celebrated was the fact that Jesus was once again with them, undeniably, and would never leave again. That's what they celebrated. That's what they valued. That's what a miracle is intended to do. To allow God to work in our lives so that at the end of the day, whatever the circumstances of our life, we are aware of the power and impact that God is having with us, even on dark days and certainly on days of blessing. You see, when that happens... It's a powerful moment. And that's what Peter's going through here in Acts. He's been leading the church. He's been trying to figure out what it meant to be a leader of the church. He's been traveling around, witnessing the gospel, and having some pretty amazing things occur. You can read the story. And gets here into Acts, where he's invited into a room that he's seen before. He is traveling, preaching, and teaching. And in a neighboring town, Tabitha dies. Tabitha, whose name in Greek is Dorcas. Tabitha, we're going to call her today. Tabitha, just one of these saints of a woman, of a, of a follower of Jesus. What was she known for? The scripture tells you. She invested her life in the lives of widows. In other words, those in her society who were their most vulnerable, who were the least cared for, who were the ones who were so easily dismissed. She, for whatever reason, we're not told how it came about, saw her mission, her purpose, to care for the widows in her community. She was doing the work that Hope does in Pontiac. And how was she doing it? She was a seamstress, a tailor. She was making clothes and garments for for these widows. And in the making of those garments, giving them to them, clothing them, making sure they were taken care of, these vulnerable people were receiving the love and grace of Jesus Christ. They were touched. They were moved. They were celebrating the gift of the garments, but they were celebrating the relationship they had with Tabitha. And if Tabitha was motivated by Jesus to do this, then also with Jesus. When she dies, Suddenly, they prepare her body as was the custom. They lay her body out, wash it, and it's waiting to be buried in the upper room, laying there in the upper room, and they hear that Peter's nearby. So they invite Peter to come over. It's interesting, they just want Peter there. They didn't ask anything of Peter. They didn't say, hey, Peter, here's what we need you to do. We just need you to be with us. So he comes right away. And as soon as he comes in, you know what they do? You just heard the scripture read. Look, look, this is what she made for me. She made this for me. She was my friend because she took care of me and she clothed me. I want to tell you about the kind of woman she was. Is what they're saying as they give to her, or as they show to Peter the things that she gave to them. Peter goes up to the room where the body's laid out. And maybe because he saw Jesus do this in another scene earlier in the scriptures. He goes to the room where the body is and he asks everyone else to step out. 
all those who were grieving, all those who were friends of Tabitha, all those who had called him to come over, he said, I appreciate you, but please, could you just give me some time alone? You know, sometimes when we are needing to be in the presence of God, in the presence of the situation in front of us, we need to remove the distractions from around us. We need to say, like a step away, even from the well-intended distractions. I need to step away so I can focus entirely on God and this situation. And he clears the room and he shuts the door. And it says the next thing he did was pray. <laughs> he, didn't, he hadn't been asked to come and do anything in particular, and he wasn't necessarily sure what to do. So he did what he always had been taught to do in those situations. He stopped to pray. We are not told what happens in the prayer. We can only deduce because of what he does next. He prays in a room where there's a laid-out corpse of a woman named Tabitha, who, oh, by the way, can I let you know that she's called a disciple in this portion of Acts. I want you to know why that's important. Tabitha is the only time in the entire New Testament where the word disciple appears in the feminine form. There are other leaders in the church. There are other women. The, the ones, there was women who first saw signs of the resurrection. But it's here, the only time where the Greek is turned into the feminine. Because by her acts of love and charity, she has demonstrated the best of what it is to be a disciple. He comes up from the prayer. Maybe he's remembering what Jesus did turns to a dead body. And he says, Tabitha, quit being dead. Get up. You know what happens. It tells us. You just heard it. She opens her eyes and she gets up. And part of you and part of me hears that story and go, oh, uh, yeah, that's, I don't know. But I want you to understand that while you struggle with a doubt in your mind about that story, please understand this is a full miracle because it's a miracle in the sight and the way in which Jesus performed miracles. Not only does she get up, which of course is a pretty big deal, she is restored back to these widows. She's welcomed back into the community of faith. And she's able to continue her relationship and her ministry. Now we know it was an eternal resurrection. She had a final death date yet to come. But she still had more life to live. In the middle of death, she discovered that God says, you still have more life to live. And the widows that she had invested in discovered the real truth. That she had all this time been making things for them But what she had really been doing was allowing God through her to make someone of them. Others who came to know and love Christ. See, the power of miracle is how it draws us to Christ. How it draws us to each other. And when we take the time of our efforts and our love and our faith in Jesus Christ and do anything, no matter how small and big for another, it's releasing the power of God. Who who in your life has touched you so deeply that you are not the same person 
because of their grace and their love and their faithfulness, you are now who you are, who you once weren't. In my office, I have a whole variety of things scattered around the office. I know sometimes you must walk in and go, you've got to clean this place up. Some of them I will never clean up. The descending dove was given to me by Dalton Bishop. I keep it, even, and I've had it now for over 35, no, it's almost 40 years now. Because Dalton the Bishop is the first person who said to me, Rick, I think God's got his hands on you. I am not the Rick Dake today I am had it not been for Dalton Bishop. I know you can't see this. If you want to stop by my office, I'll be glad to show it to you because I'm pretty proud. This is a drawing, a hand-done drawing of the church that my brother did from memory. My brother's 67. He's trained by mentally impaired. He's, he's my big brother. And God always intended him to be the world's most amazing architect, and except for one tragic incident back in 19. 19- in the 1940s, where they didn't deliver oxygen to them in time, he would have been retired and wealthy by now. But he's my big brother. And he continues to draw and teach me God's amazing grace. It's because of Jim, that my heart's so filled with pride knowing that we have just started to launch and prepare the plans for launching of a special needs ministry out of this congregation to care for families in this broader community, for families who have the blessing and the challenge of having special needs children in their homes. Haynes in my office. It's big. <laughs> and of course, the impact is it's the sign and symbol of the church that has raised me and claimed me and that led me into ministry. But you need to understand this massive symbol of the United Methodist Church was made stitch by stitch by my mother. A quiet woman who, in our family, never got a word in edgewise. <laughs> But from the moment I was born, taught me unconditional love. It hangs in my office, and it will always. These are bones. Not really bones, bones. They're, they're wood that's been shaped this way, and I can't play them at all. They're percussion sound, and if I were really good, I could just amaze you, but this is all I got. So why do I keep them? Because these bones, which actually, I'm told, 
are some of the best bones made in the music industry were carved out of punks of wood in the shed of Ray Shire, who lived in Chelsea. He was just an old farmer who made bones and was at church every time the doors opened, fixing and doing and loving and caring for us. One day he took me to the shed and showed me how to make bones and gave me a set. Today, the Shire Wing at Chelsea United Methodist Church exists, not because Ray was wealthy, but because he was a disciple, and I keep the bones. Last week, I looked in my mailbox. I know you can't see this either. That's okay. I'll show it to you after worship if you want. It's a card that was made for me. It says, I hope your knee gets better. I've been having some knee issues. I'm on the rebound. I open it up, and it's a picture of a hand. She couldn't do a knee. (laughs) It's got a Band-Aid on it. And it was made for me by Maddie Hunt, who is a very young member of our congregation who comes with her grandmother every Sunday and never says a word to me, but just looks at me like this. And every week, her grandmother tells me, during the week, she, just, she talks about you all the time. <laughs> what we invest in people, what we do for people, and what people have done for us are the places of God's grace and power in our life. Who has touched you and blessed you? Who has made of you what you are today in the name of Jesus Christ? Think of those people right now. And I told you I was going to have you write down, write down their names right now. Put them in your phone. Put them in your memory. Who are those people who have made of you because of their simple gifts of grace and love and witness of Jesus Christ, you could not be today what you are without them. Think of them. And for those who are gone, pray a prayer for them. I don't even need you to understand what that means. It really doesn't matter, does it? Lift their name before God today in prayer and give thanks. And my goodness, if they're still on this side of life, call them, hug them, write them, let them know. And then the second question. Who needs you? To be the one to show mercy and grace and love and joy and most of all, of course, hope. What will you do for those people this week, tangibly, simply, that maybe they'll learn only later in time the full impact of the love behind that gift? You see, I believe this with my whole heart. The church is very much in the miracle business. 
I see it in front of me. I have it around me. Get up. He said to her, get up. He remembered when Jesus was called to take care of Jairus' dead daughter. He looked at the daughter and said, Talitha Kum, get up. Little girl. I remember when she was lying there in the ground, ashamed and caught in adultery, and everyone blamed her, but everyone finally left, and he said, who's left to condemn you? She said, no one. He said, neither do I. So let me please, in the name of the God I come to serve and witness, get up. Let go of your guilt. Let go of the life that has shamed you and live a new life. Get up. The Apostle Paul, when he was Saul on his way to go kill the Christians, was overwhelmed by the power of God that threw him to the ground and there wallowing in the dirt, realizing the full impact of the pain that he had caused on other people. He heard the voice of God say, Saul, you are now Paul. Get up out of the dirt. Go into the city, and at the same time, he's going to Ananias, and he's going to say, listen, Ananias, that guy who is coming to kill you, I need you to get up and go to him. Because I'm going to make a way where there is no way. Get up and be the people of God. Receive the miracles that are all around you, and be the miracle that God intends you to be. For miracles... Look in the mirror. Still happen.